to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be uh, looking at um, the, the back end of chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians. So we've got chapter 12 and chapter 13 left, but next week we're going to um, take some time looking at the Passion Week of Christ as you look at Palm Sunday, and then um, then the next week will be Easter, of course. And so um, we're going to be um, looking at that week building up to and God's sovereign purposes and leading up to that week of um, Christ's death and then his resurrection that we celebrate. And so um, we will um, take a break from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12 and 13 uh, for those next two weeks um, and then come back and finish up that book. And um, so... Um, Look forward to those days. Um, when when uh, I surrendered my life to Christ back um, when I was about 26 years old, um, I was a manager at UPS. And so um, when I did that, it shocked the 200 people that worked for us and uh, all my preload workers and uh, different people. And so um, I had this radical change that happened. And so I had to um, now come from this person that was pretty smart alecky with them and uh, just always challenging them and saying some pretty coarse, rough stuff to them, and they were always, you know, attacking us and stuff like that because it was if you had ever been in that situation, management versus union, um, and so I had a good relationship with the people, but some of the management didn't have that, and so I was kind of in the middle, and so um, as I surrendered my life to Christ, all my workers that went to church, they all started inviting me to their churches. And so here I remember I had long hair, looked like a surfer guy that uh, drove into work with, a, you know, with no shirt on, flip-flops, and in a Jeep. And that would be like December. And so uh, they, they thought, man, this guy's got saved, and so we need to start introducing him. They probably thought I needed to find a wife or something. So they would start taking me to these um, church things, and it was a whole gamut. And so one time we went to a concert one night, and I think it was actually Daryl Evans, who's actually from Tulsa area. And so Daryl Evans had an incredible concert going on. But there was this guy up at the front, up at the stage, and like there's people sitting in chairs and seats like normal. But then at the stage, there's this guy, and his, some song was building, and Daryl Evans was a little more on the charismatic end. So the songs are building, and this guy just starts beating on the floor and really, really loud. And so it was like creating a lot of attention towards him and everything. And so at one point, it kept on going, and he was just, I think he was screaming like, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. And so and it, he's getting as loud as that. And so I think Daryl even kind of, after a couple of songs, addressed it and just kind of like, hey, you know, we, we, when we come to worship, and I know that we get fully into this, and we're supposed to, we just have to be careful uh, if we're, we're kind of drawing more attention to ourselves than God, you know, and kind of was looking down at this guy. And so um, anyway, that went on. Well, it was a couple weeks later, another person invited me to one of their, you know, um, church events. And so at this time, Jamie's with me and my friend Glenn, and we're setting up uh, up in the, the, in the crowd. It was kind of stadium seating. And the guy that's preaching, and they had the full-on, this was a Sunday night, so it was the full-on, if, if the Holy Ghost doesn't show up here, God's not real. 
So every Sunday night, and you may have grown up in churches, or maybe you've seen these type of things where um, if something supernatural doesn't happen, then God's not real. And so, you know, and we, I'd, I'd been used to it, and we'd been in some assembly of gods and some Pentecostal churches, and so literally, you know, they start dancing, and they form a line. They formed a healing line, and so we're all sitting in the seats, and so remember, I've got long hair, and uh, so every time we'd go to these visiting churches, uh, you know, usually that pastor would pick out, you know, and I, I just feel like there's somebody over in this area that... I really feel like there's somebody over in this area that just needs to come down and you need to give your life to cry. And, you know, and so we'd kind of be looking around. I was like, they're probably thinking me and Glenn. And so uh, he had long hair. And so sure enough, the whole place clears out and it's me and Jamie and Glenn, the only people in our seats. Because if you go to that church or you're visiting, maybe you just, you know, like there was a healing line and then people were dancing and shouting and people were kind of running with the streamers and stuff. And so that, that that's all, you know, that's fine. But I was like, I just wasn't doing that. And so he's, they literally tried two or three times. And then he's just like specifically, you, you, you right there. Come down. So he just calls out. So I, I, I'm walking down like, oh my gosh, you know. And so, and, and just remember the way I think, I have a lot of spinning thoughts real quickly. So I'm playing out as I'm walking down, like I could really make this fun. Like he, he's really been risky. I could do a lot of, you know, freak, I could freak the whole church out. But so I just go down. And so he, he and, and guess what? It's the guy who was beating on the stage from two or three weeks ago, yelling, the, yes, Jesus. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so, um, so I walk down, and he comes, and he slaps his hand real hard on my forehead. You know, and, he's, and he's just like putting his back leg back, bracing himself, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so, I'm, you know, again, in my head, I'm thinking like, I used to be a linebacker. I know that this would really make a scene, just tackling this guy. And so he starts into, in the name of Jesus, so he's you know, bringing down heaven. And he's like, I, I right now, the, the, you know, all these names, Jehovah God and Jehovah Jireh and all these powerful names of God from the Old Testament, you know, like that's going to be like a numerous amount of them is going to make me do something. And so then like, you're, you're, you've got to dance like David dancing. He started quoting scripture. And so I'm just standing there, you know, so after, you know, 30 seconds is a long time when you're the focal point of the 300 people and you're the only one not moving and people are weeping and dropping on the floor. And so, and, and, I, and I just, and nothing happened. I, and I was like, man, if the Holy Spirit wants to do that and like knock me to the floor or make me start doing it, but I'm just not going to start jogging in place because this guy told me I have to in the name of, you know, Psalms. And so anyway, um, Come to find out two weeks later, like this guy's in all kinds of scandal. The guy had done that. And so just this complete fake and this complete, you know, just crazy lunatic, all kinds of bad things that happened. And I was like, and what if I would have done that? What if I would have followed through like all these other people? And so um, there are people out there that are for their own reasons. Sometimes they truly feel like that they're leading people towards God, leading God, leading people towards an experience of God. Um, and so... Um, there are false prophets even in our day. And so we're going to see this in the second half of Second Corinthians to where Paul was dealing with this, to where that scene that I just described was the norm there also. There was, uh, and again, like what, what's kind of become popular here is if you don't do certain supernatural things, then God's not there. And so that was definitely part of the Corinthian crowd. And so not only that, but they had modified Jesus. We saw that last week in the first part of 2 Corinthians 11. They, they changed to another Jesus. His warning was, if there's another Jesus and another spirit than the Holy Spirit and another gospel, a different gospel, then you've been misled. 
You've been foolishly misled. And so that's what, um, as, I, I, as I went through those several months there of going to all those places, I would drive away sometimes feeling like, man, now there's this kind of stinky part of life of driving alone, going to regular life, and there was this supposed supernatural, you know, um, fount where the glory poured out experience for an hour and a half. And God began to just show me that, that that's not actually the way all of life has to be. That, that at this event, God's going to do this crazy, crazy thing every week just to prove he exists. And then you have to go through like normal mundane life. And Paul was wanting them to get back to the true gospel. That if Christ has changed you and saved you from your sins, wouldn't you want to be an ambassador for Christ, letting other people know that they can be forgiven also? And so that's what Paul's wanting to get them back to. So um, last week we looked at this Paul's concern, and we got a slide there showing Paul's concern um, was that he brought that up in verse 3 of chapter 11. Your thoughts are going to be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And remember he said, I had introduced you to Christ, and I wanted to grow you and mature you to where you'd be devoted to Christ when you met him, that when the bride meets the groom, that you would be mature. Um, his warning to them was, for, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we told you about, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or a different gospel than the one that you accepted, and he said, you put up with it all the time. You're putting up with it now. So um, today we're going to see, and, and what we talked about then was this different version of Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And we talked about how that is very um, popular in our own day, that the warning for the Corinthians is just as significant for us, and it's relevant in our times. We talked about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, that, that Tulsa is kind of one of the founding cities for the Word of Faith movement. So I literally, you may not believe it, I literally pray every week for different churches in Tulsa that, that I completely disagree with philosophically. Uh, I completely disagree with in, in, in different ways of their methods and stuff, uh, pragmatically and stuff. But I pray that the true gospel would go out. Um, at the same time, there is, like Paul here, there is this need to inform and educate the church that these things are false. So the, the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel, we talked about that. That the, where, When it comes down to, hey, if you will, right now, God is ordaining that you would be richer and healthier, and if you have cancer or any sickness or back pain or a spleen that's hurting, um, right now in the name of Jesus, if you just quote in the name of Jesus, you're immediately healed. God is obligated. And so I talked about how we're making God like Pavlov's dog. If, if I tap the button, God must respond, right? And now he must heal me. He must give me riches. He must give me a better car. But yet... Here's the two-thirds world, the majority world that now we know much more about, where there's people sitting in Sudan who are, are hoping that this is their fifth baby, and she's got two alive, two or three that didn't make it past the first six months, and she heard that maybe a, a truck's coming through with some porridge later this week, and the baby's almost starving already, but if, if the truck does come by on Friday, the baby will at least live for another week. So how do you go in there with a message of, in the name is Jesus, if you, if you just say that, God's going to give you better clothes, going to give you riches, the, the nicest car, the nicest house, and here's this woman sitting in a hut, and all she wants is this baby to live another week. And you just told her that God's this Pavlov's dog that's obligated. But yet, we live in the 4% of the world's population where we think that all those things do fit 
That's not a message that's universal. And so the prosperity gospel. Also, we talked about that moral therapeutic deism last week. Um, and just that idea that, that that has taken over American Christianity, where we want the idea of me doing good steps. So, so preachers tell people, mainly the message is not what God has done in your place. The message is, here's what you need to do. If you love God, you need to go prove it. And every week, here's three steps that you need to take to be a better person, a better Christian. It's moral. So if you take the steps, what happens? I feel really good about myself. And I feel better than all you because my list is better than all yours. It's therapeutic in the way it makes me feel really good about myself. I used to feel insecure or have depression or all these. And now I feel like I'm not only doing something good and taking action steps that are moral, my, my self-esteem is up. I feel more prideful. Even though the Bible wants to kill pride, we've got a group of in the church that are saying you need more pride. And so it's moral, it's therapeutic, but it's also deistic, meaning that there's this God. Remember, the deism is God created the clock, wound the clock, the universe, stepped back, folded his arms, and now it's up to us to work it out. That's deism. And that's not God, but that's what deism believes. So now you not only take an action that you feel proud of, and you feel good and self-esteem is boosted in that, and you have pride, now guess what? You're getting approval from this deistic deity. Anyone who struggles with approval of parents, daddy issues, who's not going to want to get this fatherly figure to approve of them? And so it sells in America. So we saw that last week. Today we're going to see these three things that Paul's resolve and purpose in this is guarding the gospel. And we're going to see, secondly, that Paul's catalog of difficulty that he's going to go through, it's going to reveal that God is sovereign over suffering and it doesn't get you out of faithfulness, that we're still supposed to be faithful in the middle of sovereign suffering. It's no surprise to God. Um, and then third, we're going to see that Paul's greatest heart concern, in the middle of all the suffering he's gone through, you know what his greatest concern is? Is loving God and to care for the people in the church, the local church. So um, let's read um, 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to do 12 through the end of the chapter. So starting in verse 12. Chapter 11, and what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who want, who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it with you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or even strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman now with, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the the governor under King Aratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So, Father, we come to you asking for your spirit to lead us and guide us in truth, to show us exactly what you, the true author's intent was for this group of people, the Corinthians. Uh, We pray also that you would give us understanding for the author Paul's intent as he separates even himself from you at one point to show that this was his thoughts versus exactly what would be prescribed for the church. And then we see that we need for you to bring us truth and guidance, and wisdom on what this looks like for us in our own time. Show us how this applies to our lives. Show us our own hearts. Show us what we need to be able to do in a culture that seems so um, ready to follow um, people that could easily be false prophets. We pray that your true gospel would be um, what we believe in. We pray that you would guard that gospel in our own hearts. We pray that we would be in love with and captivated by the true Jesus and that the true Holy Spirit would be the one guiding us and maturing us and growing us. We pray, Father, for this area, Father, um, as we approach Easter, a time when people, um, for whatever reason, decide that they would visit churches, God. We pray that you would allow there to be many, many people who hear the true gospel and the true Jesus as they visit different churches, Father. We pray that you would allow many people to be saved through our own body, through our own church, through the churches around us, Father, that you would do a work in a broken area, sometimes in a very rich broken area and sometimes in a very poor broken area. We ask for you to do that for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. So Paul here, um, he, he goes into his resolve and purpose. He's going to reveal to them why he has made it so clear about um, exposing these false teachers. So he says, what I'm doing, I, I'm going to continue to do. Look there in verse 12. He says, I'm doing it in order to undermine the claim of those who are saying they're doing the same mission as us on the same terms. So he's going, they're not doing the same mission as us. And they're not doing it on the same terms. They've come to you with a different gospel and a different Jesus and a different spirit. And you guys are putting up with it. So I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to clarify Christ, and I'm going to expose false teachers and false teachings. Now, I think that one of the immediate applications for us, thinking through that, if Paul's saying that to them, and Paul's saying, that's what me and my crew do, that's what I hope that you Corinthians are doing. Because remember, he's trying to get them to separate from those that are the false teachers that are in there, and then there's the ones that are kind of on the fence. He's trying to get the ones on the fence. You need to go back to the true gospel. And then for the church that had had stuck with Paul and believing that, they also need to take up Paul's stance that we need to know what the truth is 
We need to believe it, and we need to be proclaimers of that. We need to be able to know when people are bringing false stuff around. And so um, his purpose is clear. I'm going to undermine them. I'm not going to stop doing that. And he says, notice he says, because such men are false apostles, they're deceitful workmen. They're disguising themselves. So they call themselves apostles. So they're doing stuff like getting up and reading from parts of the Bible, maybe from parts of the Old Testament. And so they're using elements of God's Word. They're using language that talks about God, maybe even talking about Jesus. But remember, they're recreating Jesus. They're giving him a facelift that would fit more with the culture. So they're saying, hey, no one wants to be think of a, a, a weak powerless God who gets crucified, we want prideful, powerful, um, just leaders that would amaze people. That's what Jesus is, because that's what fits with our culture. Um, they, he, he calls them deceitful workmen, and that, that, that phrase there means that they're very intentional in what they're doing. Their strategy to it, they're intentional with that, um, but notice they are being deceived, so, so let's ask the question, why would these men do something like this? Why would the false teachers and false prophets do this? What would they possibly gain from this? So these fakes, notice they have the same value system as the Corinthian culture. They have the same value system as the lost culture. So pride, riches, power, influence, position, status, um, spiritual influence and spiritual supernatural power, impressive worldly stuff. Now, now think through this. We've talked about this three or four weeks ago. It is completely natural for our hearts to be prone to want something that's really, really nice. Our hearts naturally in the flesh would want to be powerful, to want to be extremely rich, to have comfort and ease that sometimes more money can, can, can pay for. Sometimes pride to be to respected in your own area, to be looked at. For, for kids, it's a huge thing because they have all these people that don't have jobs that um, their job is being a YouTuber. And so the, they, they think that, you know, like, hey, we're going to spray paint my f- f- neighbor's car. Hey, my parents have a $700,000 vehicle. We're going to spray paint it and video it, and we're going to take like a minute to spray paint it, and then we're not telling you what happens to it. And so then kids go, oh, hey, that's cool. They got 40 million likes on that or 40 million followers and so because being popular with no talent at all, no ability at all, no work ethic at all, just being silly and getting famous for it, that's now a lifestyle. And they make more than all of us, by the way. So that's encouraging. And so um, when, when, when fame and power and influence is just because of your hair or your makeup or you doing a silly stunt, like that, that, that's crazy. But yet that's what People are learning. The same thing's going on with the Corinthians there. They're looking at the culture and going, this is what we want in our culture. This is what these leaders are telling us. This is what God is like. So the value system. Um, Think about in our day. What is it in our day? Why would people um, who are supposed to be spokesmen for God, why would they do this? Why would they come before people saying, I'm talking about God. I'm going to tell you about God and his plan for you. Why would they do the same thing? Um, are some valuing the same things of our American just lost culture? Just living for the wrong things. Now, now let me say this very clearly. So, so when you start to talk about this, it does not mean that if you're a person who has a job that happens to get paid a, a ton, 
that, that you're a pitiful person, that you're a wrong or sinful or bad person at all. So if you happen to have a job that, that makes, you know, some, some work for $15 an hour, and there's some that they're, they're making $450 an hour or $1,000 an hour, right? They're not evil because of that. So, so I don't want to make that clarification. Like, if you happen to end up being successful, so if you're faithful and work hard and God does bless and you're a, a person following God or even people who don't follow God, they, they may end up being rich. They may end up being famous. Um, so that's not the issue because there's many people who, just because of what they do, they're very gifted, they're very talented. You may start a little uh, uh, thing of selling widgets and, and, and man, now you make $2 million next year. Like, man, that's incredible. I hope that your life is still about following God and making disciples. But it's when the switch comes when you go, I desire to be famous and rich. The love of those things, self, 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 that's the switch. So when we look at our own culture, celebrity status, how much has happened in the American church when pride and just the proudness of some people, the fame that they're seeking, that's their goal. And just like with the Corinthians, Paul said, and you put up with it readily. You, you put up with it. Not only do you put up with it, you support it incredibly. Um, riches and fame. Again, this is my second or third time through the uh, um, Mars Hill episodes on the, um, about the, the fall of Mars Hill and everything. And so I, I, I forgot. And it was one of those days where like, you know, we're, we're trying to sell our house. So every single thing that we do is another $500, another $600, another $800. And you're like, we're just trying to get this. You know, it's like you're trying to get stuff out and, and it's like costing you more. And so then I'm listening to this one thing. I just got ticked. I literally had to stop and repent because I was angry because, and they said, well, and Mark Driscoll after this, he had been making this for the last few years. But then when he left and did all that stuff, they decided to pay him one year's you know salary in severance 650 and I was just like oh my gosh and I literally was walking to my house I walked down the hall I went to the you know and I, was, I was just so I was going like you know like I can't believe this like uh, the abuse and the, 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 the ripple effects of so many people and and not only do we put up with it but but we actually Love that. And so um, I was talking with Casey Smith, who um, he's for Harbor Network. He helps in all the media stuff. And um, he, he was, and I texted him, I was like, did you know this? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he, he said, did you know that that, that uh, podcast episodes, those made the top 10 on Apple? That's nuts. What that shows is there's a lot of people in churches who have been in abusive situations. A lot of people in, in churches who have fallen for that, and some are still right along with that. So think through that. Um, trending social media hits, uh, buildings, real estate, fame, influence, power, pride, impressive success, impressive CEO professionalism. A lot of times what you see, it's daddy issues. Daddy never gave attention. Just like you know, uh, the, the, the great poet Eddie Vedder said from Pearl Jam and Jeremy, um, Daddy never gave attention. So why the rest of my life, 20s and 30s and 40s, is trying to get Daddy to accept me whether Dad's passed away or not? And, and a lot of men in ministry, that's what they're needing. That's what they're wanting. they got this void of, I don't feel important. I don't feel powerful. I don't feel like I'm respected. So I need thousands of people. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get thousands and thousands to become famous. And then social media just, just allowed so much of that. When you, there may not be anything of solid substance to them. And so a lot of times what you see in that situation is people lacking character, but all kinds of giftedness. And, so, and, and we not only put up with it, 
We get in lines. We follow it. So we want to see lost people saved. That's the reason that you church plant. Um, We want to see many people matured and discipled. Using websites, using um, social media, those are not evil or wrong, unless your end goal is for you to be famous and rich from that instead of you being humbled and making much of Jesus. That's the switch. And Paul's going, that's what you've missed, Corinthians. You've fallen into the trap, just like our American culture, that Christianity is a success-driven, riches-driven, prosperity-driven mainstream thing where, where the goal is building this organization instead of humbly loving Jesus and loving the people around you. And so they think that they have the same value as lost culture, success in worldly values. And, and see, Paul says there, how does that happen? Look in verse 14. No wonder, because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And he switches words from angel of light to um, workers of righteousness, that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. The things that they're doing, the actions they're doing, it looks like it's of God. They disguise themselves. And the Greek word is uh, that they're wearing masks, literally, that they would be wearing these masks. Except you know what Paul's saying? They're not. They're, They're not even having to wear masks. You're putting up with it, and you're going along with it. You're supporting it. So I, you guys know, you have heard the story, Jamie used to get ticked when we first got married because she didn't know I did this beforehand, but back when they had the televangelists on all the time, and remember the people that would be, and they're still on there, I'm sure, but like it would be, you know, like especially late at night after 11 p.m., and these people in, you know, whatever state, and they would be like, right now, if you're looking in this screen, right now I'm going to hand out my, I'm going to stick out my hand, and you reach out your hand and take your other hand. And you get your checkbook. And right now, if you got a thousand dollars, I want you to write a check for five thousand. Because the Lord's gonna, if you if you bless this seed, and, and you know, it's gonna multiply. You write a check for a thousand, God's gonna give you ten thousand. You 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 don't have your monthly payment for your house. You go ahead and write the check. God's gonna give you a new house. And, and like right now, and so I would call in. And you know, this poor seventeen-year-old girl who's probably working for seven dollars an hour at the answering center, probably like you know a thousand miles away. She just works. I'm calling. I'm like, hey, I just need to talk to someone. I was like, this is evil. Um, do you understand? And, you know, again, like, I'm sorry, sir. Do you want to make a donation? I'm like, and they're you know, they've got a script, and I would just go into, I, can I talk to can I talk to the supervisor? Like, who is is there a manager? This needs to shut down like this. And so Jamie would literally like, what are you doing? You're scaring this person. And I, and I just thought, this is evil. And yet what happens? People do it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And in fact, it's not only happening in foolish ways, like people, people in groves flock to it. And notice what Paul says here. This isn't a little thing. Here's how dangerous this is. It's no little matter. It's no little small thing. Paul says, this is satanic. This is demonic. There are literally demonic beings, invisible, that are chewing people up and spitting them out. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Wrong Jesus, wrong spirit, wrong gospel. He's told us that that's what's happening. They're influencing, guiding this stuff. So I hope that you see that we, as a people of God, we have to guard the gospel. 
You have to know what the true gospel is. You should be able to distinguish and differentiate. And so when new articles or new books or, or new, uh, new popular thing comes up, you need to be able to test it. You need to know some church history um, to be able to go like, oh, this, this happens. There's nothing new under the sun in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new. So a new teaching comes up. Like, ooh, there's a new version of Jesus that we found out. And it's this new movement in this city. And God's really, oh, just, just, just go back. It happened in the 200s A.D. It happened in the 400s A.D. Hey, be thankful you live in this society because all those people were lined up and murdered. They were, they were killed for being heretics. They were lined up and burnt at the stake for being heretics if you signed on to that. So we don't have those laws in America. And so all those things, those beliefs come back around. So Paul's going, you need to have an understanding uh, and guard the true gospel. And he goes into that second section in, in verse 16. When he, he goes, just let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool. And know this is, he, notice this, he says, I say this not as the Lord would, but I'm speaking as a fool here. But he says, you're putting up with it all the time. In fact, notice what he goes into. You put up with it so much, you bear with it. If someone makes slaves of you, if someone devours you, if someone takes advantage of you or puts on airs, or even strikes you in the face. He's going, they are abusive to you. He's going, they're slapping you in the face, and you're not only putting up with it, you're lining right back up for it to happen again. That's how clear it is. And that's what I'm so saddened by sometimes with areas of the American church. Like, you're not just putting up with it. You're, you're asking for it. You're, you're being in abusive situations, and you stay there. You're, you're continuing to do it. Their boasting was in prideful posturing, proud triumphalism, impressive worldly status. Is that not what we see sometimes with the church in America? Sometimes with leaderships? There's places around here that, that I know of that big churches that literally, literally the pastor got his two or three guys in the room and said, hey, listen, I'm getting older. I want a legacy built. I want us to buy this land over here, and we're going to spend millions on it. We're going to buy this land. We're going to spend millions on it. And they went and they did it. And someone called them on it and said, hold it. That was supposed to be a church vote. Oh, we need to have a church vote meeting. Hey, guys, there's a chance to buy this land. They'd already bought it. And people put up with it. Like that, you can't do that, Right? You, you, you don't do, and, and, and people here in, in Tulsa that would, that would just go and be complete fakes, just wanting people to gather crowds through social media to where it, you're wanting to be famous like Hollywood status people. That wasn't what Jesus was trying to do. It's all built on a person. Paul's boasting, in contrast, is on his catalog of weaknesses. Notice in verses 22 through 28, this catalog of suffering. He says, um, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So he starts out with going to his true um, identity. And so notice those three areas that he brings up first. He's going, do they have any of these qualifications that I have? First of all, I, I'm a true Hebrew. He is pure ethnic identity. He was a full-blooded Jew. So um, in Philippians, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning um, I understand and was trained in both Hebrew culture, so the Old Testament. So remember, Hebrew just means Old Testament Israelite Jewish people went through all the cultural um, and dietary laws, so lived out the cultural um, expectations of the law. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I kept all of the Old Testament commands. Um, then also I know Hebrew language and I know Aramaic language. 
So the, the, I'm, I'm a true Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, he says, I'm a true Israelite. So if you remember Paul later in Romans, he says this talking about the people of Israel, the Israelites says, to them belong the adoption, um, the glory, the covenants. God gave the covenants, the law, all those things to Israel through the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. From, from, from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. So he's saying, from those people, that's me. I'm a true Israelite. Do they have this to boast of? I'm a true offspring of Abraham. He was part of the covenant people, God's elect and chosen people all the way back. But notice this, Paul doesn't put his confidence in all of those accolades that they have none of. He goes, that's not even the point. Do they have all those? I do. But instead of boasting his flesh and in, in, in that national identity, he goes, I'm not even going to boast in that. Even though he had all of that and they had none, they were boasting in these other fleshly things that were not even um, spiritual at all. And so Paul goes, instead of boasting in those things, he breaks off and goes from talking about his national um, connection with God, his spiritual connection to God, to say, I'm not even going to boast of those. In fact, let me tell you my story. So he goes into all the weaknesses. He goes into this, these sovereign suffering accounts that God allowed him to go through. Um, when we think through the Corinthians, it seems obvious and foolish, the things that they put up with, but they, they not only put up with them, they valued these things. Prideful displays, proud leaders masquerading to gather more power and wealth and fans and popularity. They, they valued the same things the lost Corinthian world valued. And then they brought that into the church, and then they continued to exalt those elements. So what about in our day? What things do, does our current Christian culture consider okay of boasting in? Is it to be uh, a website that, that, that boasts of uh, how, uh, what the stars are, who the popular celebrity um, people that they're having there? Um, is it pride in buildings or fame or influence? Why do we keep seeing huge moral failures of these illustrious celebrities desiring more and more influence, more and more followers, sending abuses and manipulations and exploitation, rippling down and traumatizing the people that they were supposed to be loving and caring for and shepherding? And they're slapping you in the face and just keep taking it and keep taking it. It's nothing of Christ. And Paul switches and says, let me boast in my weaknesses. So he goes into this general list. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. So he just says, man, I've been through all of these things, just generally speaking, all of these things. He goes into a specific list. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So this was a trained person whose full-time job, who from eight to five, if there wasn't people to be whipped that day, his full-time job was to work out, to get stronger, and to practice and become professional at whipping with those lashes. So you've probably heard those accounts with Jesus, same thing. So his, his job all day long, like, hey, Tuesday, we got some people lined up. Get to work, get practicing. His job was just to practice. And so they would do 39 lashes, so 40 lashes minus one. So Paul says five times that happened. So you've probably seen on movies and stuff, you, we may not know a lot of people, that have those just, just scars across their backs, sometimes in movies, and that's kind of like the drama point, like the, 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 the symphony kicks in, like, dun-dun-dun, they pull their shirt back, and you see like, oh my gosh, they've got lash marks from years ago. 
Five times the 39, that's 195 lash marks. So think through your bad circumstances this week. Where was God? Let's go a little bit deeper. Where, where was God after the fifth of those lashes? When, the, when, when blood's flowing, whelps are there, and he's going, I've got 34 more to go. Hey, God, you, you could strike this guy down with lightning. You could cause this guy to drop. You could ca- cause a, a band of people to come. Where, where was God in God's will on those 39 lashes? 195 times. Five different times. Sometimes they, they kind of estimate from Paul's travels that he would get these 39 lashes. And sometimes it would probably take days to be able to just imagine. You can't lay down. You can't um, just sit up against the cold you know, urine-filled rock wall that's your prison cell after you've been whipped. There's no nurses coming. There's no ointment coming. There's no bandages. Five times. 195 things. Where's God? Do we need a paradigm shift on sovereignty and suffering? Do we need a complete paradigm shift in in, in our mindset that I think it's just subliminal? that we, we expect, if I'm following God, more comfort. If I'm following God, it'll get better. If I'm following God, it should be. And so our life trajectory is just going to get better and better and better. And Paul's going, where did you get that? So I know that's part of our thinking. And, and hey, granted, it, when Christ comes into place, blessings come. And, and there are good things that come also. But just don't be shocked when your life trajectory doesn't exactly end up the comfort and ease that you expected, even though you're probably going to sinfully fight to make that happen. Think of the love that he had for Christ and for these Jews. So now we're seeing Paul's faithfulness in the midst of sovereign suffering. He goes on from the five times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. This was the most popular of the Roman form of beatings. In Acts 16, it talks about that. In Galatians 6, Paul says this, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Um, As you guys see, so hopefully this will be the last week that I'll be wearing the little bandage. Jamie joked me because I got the stitches out, and she's like, oh, oh, it looks like you're still wearing that bandage. Uh, you know, to, to get attention, that's what she was saying. Like, you're still wearing that bandage around Walmart, you know. No, it, people run from you when you have this. Like, it was, after the two years of COVID, people say this, like, he's got something new. Get away from him. Like, he doesn't have a mask on. He's got this big bandage. Um, or, or he got, you know, he got blood taken. He's wearing this, you know, four by four bandage. So, but I'm having this little thing still pop up. It's still having some issues. So it'll be, it'll be, next week it'll be gone. And you can look at the ugliness of it. Think through with Paul the suffering that he went through, we're terrified of suffering. Um, the marks of Jesus, what if, what if for you that's not 195 lashings or 39 what if that's just relational beings, being relational in the church? Anyone ever get hurt through relationships, through um, being in the church and just like, oh, it's just, just it's exhausting, it's tiring. Like, man, I'm, you step in to try to help, and sometimes you get fired on. So that, that triangulation and counseling where you, you could be the one trying to step in to do something, and then they turn on you, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that can happen also. Over and over and over, sometimes when you're trying to help, or you just want to bring up something in a loving way. So relationally, are you going to get to heaven and not have a mark on you? Is that your goal? Relationally? 
Physically, no, no sacrifice. Financially, just no, no, no sacrifice. Following Jesus, it's just, just, I would say that the prosperity gospel is false. I would say that health and wealth, that, that's wrong. But man, do I believe it. When it comes down to it, that's my life trajectory. Even though I say I re- would repudiate that. And he talks about being stoned. And um, in Acts chapter 14, Paul um, goes through this. This is uh, Acts chapter 14. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Do you remember when you were a little kid? My mom had a daycare center, and there was one girl. Was terrified of her. Her name was Deidre, and she would bite. So did anyone grow up with biter kids around? Or maybe you were a biter. Some of you were like, I think I was a biter. And so the, the biter kids, when you're little, that kid's terrifying. Like everyone, like no one play with the biter kid. They just like, you're playing with a ball. All of a sudden, they grab your arm and bite. And so there was, we had one of those. I got to like second grade. We had a kid. Uh, he was definitely, now I learned that he's probably being abused. He was a rock thrower. Like you're playing like volleyball or you're playing like your tetherball, you beat the kid, guess what? He picks up two rocks and starts throwing them at your head. And so you're like, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, dude, like this is out of bounds. Like fighting is one thing on the playground. You don't throw rocks at other human beings' heads. And so like it was a big, like, you know, everyone, like you kind of, you, you gather around and like you're looking around when you see this kid showing up because like if there's rocks around, he gets mad, he just starts throwing rocks at people. So we don't like verbal confrontation. Can you imagine a crowd of people picking up bigger, not just like little rocks, some people maybe have little ones, but rocks aimed at your head, so much so that at some point you go unconscious and they're like, oh, we we did it, yeah. They're cheering. They grab your body thinking you're dead and drag you out of the sea and just leave you there. That happened. So Paul's going, that's what, what I bring to the table. Where was God when those rocks started coming and hitting his face, when more people started picking up, where was God in the middle of that? So for Paul, he brings up that story because back at the stoning of Stephen, if you remember in in Acts chapter 7, I think I got a slide of this. Now when they heard these things, uh, Peter and John and all the disciples, and then they they said, hey, we need to bring up some other guys that are going to help serve, and they're just going to serve the body of Christ, and they're going to be deacons. So Stephen was one of these men filled with the Spirit. And so Stephen, he's not a a junior varsity guy. He's just as as much a proclaimer, and so he just stands up and just starts preaching the gospel to them. And it says that when they heard these things from Stephen, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, he gazed up into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, so, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. By the way, that ticks people off if they think you're a blasphemer, right? And you're the one standing there. So um, they, they pick up stones. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of their supervisor named Saul. So that was his first commanding of this guy preaching about Jesus. Let's kill him. And now here's Paul receiving the same thing, that stoning. Sovereign suffering and faithfulness. Stephen may have been thinking there. You know, we get in these situations and you could think through, and it's a good question. So, when I think about the Old Testament, which Stephen knew really well, Paul knew really well, man, 
Remember Daniel? We just went through this a year ago. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've kind of got these bad circumstances. Man, God showed up and saved them. Another story in Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Crazy, dangerous situations. Man, great faith. God shows up and saves them. Stephen? Nope. Paul? Nope. Nope. Just getting beat down with rocks repeatedly. God's sovereignty in our suffering still requires our faithfulness. Paul says, I was shipwrecked three times. A night and a day, I was out on the open sea. Again, you guys ever been to a party and one of your friends talks about, oh man, you guys remember the spring when we were on the shipwreck and we were out floating, hanging on to pieces of wood. No, you don't have friends like that. No one does because those people are dead. No one has heard friends tell those stories. And Paul's going, four times this happened to me. And Sankey, first 10 minutes of the second time, like, God, are you serious? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to tell people about you. And this happens again? Like, if sharks don't come, how long am I going to be out here? And Paul's just going, here's my catalog of suffering for God's sovereignty. Um, Add these things up. 13 times that he's near death. So a quick question for us is, when your view of God's plan doesn't seem to be working out exactly as you thought it was going to, what do you run to? When your plan of what you thought God was going to make happen in your life trajectory, when that starts coming unraveled, what do you turn to? When your expectation of how safe and comforting and secure life was going to be, it turns out painful relationally, Painful financially, painful circumstantially, painful health-wise. What do you turn to? Paul says in the last part there, danger in all these places, danger with all these people, on journeys, danger in rivers, danger in cities, danger in wilderness, danger in sea, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles. And he puts this one last, danger from, you know, those false teachers. Corinthians. I've been telling you about false teachers. So faith keeps you going. Faithfulness keeps you going when it shouldn't be that way. Faith lets you trust in God and walk in obedience when you have every reason not to. So let me ask you in a different way about sovereignty and suffering and faithfulness. What are you living for? So think through that. Is it security? Is it the next exciting stage, the next exciting step? Is it ease of life, quick gratification, maybe just ease and entertainment? If we're not careful, we're exactly like the Corinthians in the story, valuing wrong things, worldly things, instead of living our life for the kingdom. So what are you living for is what Paul, the basis, the core question he's wanting them to get them to realize is, you're not living for Christ. And you said that you become followers of Christ. You said that if you understood that the, 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 man, the God-man came down and died in your place on the cross, that that, that was worth living for. And now you've, you've started following a different Jesus, a different gospel. And I, here's what my life looks like in faithfulness to him, even though I've gone through the suffering. What are you living for? He goes on to even more sufferings. And why would Paul keep running into another and another and another event of suffering and difficulty? Think through if this was happening with someone around us. Well, here's what would begin to happen in our leadership boards, our groups. Guys, I 
I just don't know. Is this wise? Is it really, is it really wise of Paul? to? He's talking about taking another trip. I think one of us needs to you know, step up and confront him. I think, I just don't know if this is wise. Is this really smart? Is this really a good use of our finances to send Paul? I mean, good grief, he's going to go get beat down and lose our money. Should we give to this? Wouldn't Paul be more productive if he stopped getting put in jail, stopped getting shipwrecked? Wouldn't Paul be more productive if he... He wouldn't last very long, three or four months on most church staffs, most religious groups, boards, because why? We're valuing something else. So I hope that we can see Paul's words to the Corinthians um, should have shocked them in the contrast that he was bringing up. Do you live a life of faith and obedience? Does your life reveal living more for your life trajectory? Or does it reveal living for the kingdom? So um, the um, closing part that Paul brings up is he says that um, in all of these things that we've gone through, I've suffered in these other things. There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the church. In all those lists of sufferings I've talked about, then here's the greatest concern of my heart. What about the health of the church? That's what he's writing this letter to them about. And he goes to close up this interesting little twist where he goes into Damascus. After all those things, when he ends this chapter, he goes into this story of being let down in the wall at Damascus. And just like, why did you throw that in in the middle of this? It's very confusing when you're reading through that. Like, why did you land there? So why Damascus? If you remember, it was Saul, before he changed his name to Paul, on the road to Damascus to do what? To guard monotheism. He was going to guard Yahweh. And Jesus struck him down, blinded him. He goes into Damascus, powerful, whole group of soldiers behind him, leader, strong, um, one of the most powerful guys. And Jesus Christ interrupts his plans and begins to reveal to him, you're going to suffer many, many ways you're going to become weak. And so he comes into Damascus as this powerful guy who can, who's going to step in, put people in prison, have people killed, all the power and authority, prideful, pride of his stance with God. And he has to slip out of Damascus through a window, blind, being helped, completely dependent, weak, not even in his own power. So he ends with that. And so he wants to show those Corinthians are you getting the story? Are you understanding what God's work in us might look like? So I want to challenge you to think through that as we come out of uh, two years, 24 months of a pandemic, that literally these schools and some of the places around here wouldn't even open up to anything. And now they're starting to ask for things. So little bitty things that we want to do in this community that, that's already a kind of a shut-off part of community. It's already a crazy idea to try to get people that live half a mile over in $1.4 million houses to, to, to sit down in a small group with a guy in an $80 a month apartment. Only the gospel can bring those type of things out. But it's going to take face-to-face faithfulness. And we're not going to rely on just social media stuff. We're not just going to rely on uh, music. We're not going to rely on those things. Will you take steps of faith? 
You plant churches because we believe that there are many, many lost souls right in this one-mile circle that are separated from God with the wrath of God laying on top of them right now. So we begin to take steps forward. Will there be faithfulness? Will there be the first element of suffering, difficulty, a problem? And we can't do that anymore. So there's going to be steps of faith. Will it reveal about our hearts that that we're more about, man, saying, I've just got a lot of things I'm wanting to do. I don't want any marks. I don't want any more relational marks. I don't want any more abusive mental marks. I don't want any physical difficulty. I don't want to give up time and sacrifice time or sacrifice finances. Or are we going to say, we're living for the kingdom. We're living for the kingdom, and we want to see, God, what would you want to do? It's a great opportunity. The church is, is perfect and prime for a time like this with, with one, and, and one who will bring forgiveness and hope and truth in a world that doesn't believe there is truth, that doesn't believe there is hope, who's, who've bought into the lie that, that it's only getting worse and worse and worse. So go live for yourself and make yourself comfortable. We've got a chance to respond like Paul did in faithfulness. So as Brad comes back up, Give you a few minutes just to pray. Give you some time to respond. I want you to think through. Um, we saw Paul confront the false apostles and their teaching. So are you a clarifier of truth? Are you understanding and knowing the true gospel and guarding the true gospel? Are you one who is able to clarify the true gospel to people around you? We saw Paul list out his, his suffering and God's sovereignty over that, but Paul's faithfulness for the sake of Christ. So what does faithfulness to Christ look like amidst suffering that you may go through? And we saw Paul's greatest heart concern was his care for the local bodies of Christ, the the people. What's your level of care, true care, for just the people just right here? What's your level of heart concern for just the people that in this small group of our church, a local body? Because if it's at 5%, don't lie to yourself thinking that you really want to see a lot of people from the community come and join us. You're just being misled and deceiving yourself. If you, if you can't love well in this context, then what makes us think that adding 50 or 100 or 200 or 500 would mean anything? If we're not clinging to and captivated by Christ, walking in his love, led by his spirit, with the same Jesus, the same gospel, then there's no point in any of it. So consider those things as we pray, and Brad will lead us in a song. You can respond, and then we'll come back with the Lord's Supper.